Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, as newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. We're talking about growth in the last part of a series we've been engaged in for some time on Sunday mornings, the New Testament Christian, based upon the Memphis lectures and the theme this past year, the New Testament Christian. And in these last lessons, we are focusing on the New Testament Christian never stops growing. And as we do that, we're looking at some qualities that we find here in an epistle where growth is emphasized, 1 Peter, where we've just cited 1 Peter 2, 1 and 2. We're looking at qualities that are mentioned in this epistle in which we must never stop growing. And if we will not stop growing in these qualities, we will attain to a maturity that indeed God wants all his children to reach. We have looked in 1 Peter chapter 1 at grace and peace. Those two things that are first mentioned in Peter's greeting, a greeting that was characteristic of his fellow apostle, the apostle Paul. But here Peter writes, grace to you and peace be multiplied. And that multiplication is an indication that obviously we're to grow in grace. But we don't need to uh, simply uh, deduce that from what is said there about multiplication. We're specifically told in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18, by Peter in his second epistle, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that growth in knowledge as we continue to conclude this series this month on this very important theme of growth. And it is crucial, absolutely crucial, that we understand and appreciate the need to continue to grow no matter where we are in the Christian life. No matter how long we have been Christians, no matter how long we have been a part of the body of Jesus Christ, the church of our Lord, Growth is absolutely essential at every stage of our Christian development. Growing in grace or in favor is the meaning there as we studied. Growing in that peace, that wonderful quality that calms every aspect of the soul. The peace, perfect peace. The peace that Jesus spoke of to his apostles at a time of turmoil and trouble in their lives as they anticipated his departure from them. When he said, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And while those words were spoken to the apostles on an occasion of, of distress on their part as they anticipated his departure, they have application, obviously, to all Christians for all times to come. And the realization that indeed we can have the peace of God that surpasses understanding, as Paul wrote to the Philippians, the peace that comes only from God. But as we continue to look at these qualities, 12 in, in all, today we want to look at hope and faith. And that brings us to verse 3 and verse 4, particularly of 1 Peter chapter 1. Where Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. In just a few moments, we'll look at verse 5 where we are introduced to another crucial quality in which we must never stop growing, and that is the quality of faith. But think with me for a few moments about hope. I've mentioned more than once that you, you never go into a town that is named No Hope, do you? New Hope. There are several New Hopes across the country, but I am not aware of one single town by the name of No Hope. Why? Because people do not want to think about having no hope. And yet, for those of us who are Christians here this morning, we at one time had no hope. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you are. You are in a situation of no hope. That is no hope spiritually. And if that is your situation, it's our fervent prayer and plea that that will all change even today as you embrace the living hope about which Peter reminds his readers for all time. You see, the Ephesians were a group of people who Paul reminded that they had been without hope, without God in the world. But, that's a, that's a big little word, isn't it? But now, but now as Paul wrote to the Ephesian brethren, but now in Christ Jesus, you do have hope. And that's what Peter, that's what Peter is extolling here as he eulogizes, if you will, the God of heaven. Because that word blessed is the word from which we get the word eulogy. And this word applies to God and to Christ. Blessed be, blessed be the God. Praise be to God. Here we have in these verses 3 through 5 specifically a eulogy to God. Praise be or blessedness in that sense. The eulogy to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who what? Notice this. Here is the source of the Christian's hope first of all. God's mercy. Who according to his abundant mercy. There's the basis. There's the source if you will of hope. Would any of us today who are children of God be children of God had it not been for the abundant mercy of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son? Absolutely not. We would still be without hope had it not been for the source of our hope and the source of our hope was God. But specifically, Peter says, the source of that hope is the mercy of God. Yes, grace is God's favor, but mercy has been described as God's grace in action. That is, taking action, doing something for man in order to bring a blessing to man, a spiritual blessing, a spiritual happiness, a spiritual joy to man. His abundant mercy, Peter reminds us, is the source of this hope which he describes in terms of its character now as what? Living. We have a living hope. It's alive and well. The hope of the child of God is alive and well. He has begotten us. We have been begotten again or born again. And begotten, when God the Father is under consideration, refers to the begettal process of God the Father. The birth process as a whole is sometimes described in this way, but the birth process as a whole is not the begettal itself. God begets and we are what? 
born again by water and the Spirit, that is, by baptism according to the teaching of the Spirit, we respond to the mercy of God who has given us the means by which we can be born again. And that birth, as Jesus described it to Nicodemus in John 3, and as it is clearly described throughout the New Testament, is the burial and baptism for the forgiveness of our sins. God begets through the Word, and when we respond to that Word by being born of water and of the Spirit, according to the teaching of the Spirit, to be baptized into Christ based upon a belief that leads us to repent and confess, then we are indeed recipients of a hope that has as its character life, life. The source of it is God's abundant mercy. The character of this hope is that it is living, a living hope. But notice then the object. The object of that hope is verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Let me ask you, how much more assurance would you like to have as a Christian than the assurance that has just been given in the reading of verse 4 of 1 Peter 1? Tell me that you could have more assurance in terms of your hope being ultimately realized and a a hope that has as its object any greater goal or object than the one just described by Peter, an inheritance. That's the object of the hope, the inheritance. But he describes that inheritance in a way that gives assurance to those who possess this living hope that is incomparable, an incomparable assurance, because the inheritance is incorruptible, first of all. Incorruptible, it cannot be corrupted. That's the ultimate home of the soul that awaits those who have this hope. That inheritance cannot be corrupted. Earthly inheritances can be corrupted. Earthly inheritances can come and Go, but not the eternal inheritance. It is incorruptible, and it's further described as undefiled. In other words, it's holy. It is holy. It is incapable. Now think about this. It is incapable of being soiled or tarnished or blemished in any way. It's incorruptible and undefiled. Assurance upon assurance that once we realize the object of our hope, nothing can ever again change that realization of that hope. Sin cannot enter the picture. That's what is described here very clearly. Sin cannot, sin cannot bring about Corruption to our eternal inheritance. It is undefiled, that is, it's holy, and it cannot be made unholy. And then he further adds more assurance. And that does not fade away. It will never be diminished. It will never be destroyed. Not only will it never be destroyed, it will never be diminished. That's the, that's the object of our 
hope. It's eternal. It does not fade away. And furthermore, Peter says, it's reserved in heaven for you. It's reserved. The word literally indicates guarding initially or watching over. And the idea here is it's being kept. It's being guarded. It's being watched over. Nothing will change it. You can be assured that it'll be here tomorrow and it'll be here the next day and that hope will still be reserved. That inheritance will still be reserved there. It's being watched over. It's being taken care of. It is waiting for you and for me if indeed we grow in hope and in all these other qualities that we are looking at in the final part of this series, 12 in all. What is hope? We've talked about it so many times. It's desire. But it is not desire alone, biblically speaking. It is desire coupled with expectation. You see, the child of God not only desires to go to heaven, he expects to go to heaven. That is biblical hope. And upon what basis can he expect to go to heaven? Upon what basis can he have that kind of confidence? Faith, the next quality that Peter mentions, because as a very part of this, the same part of this immediate context, after saying that all of this that's so beautifully described, that inheritance that has as its source God's mercy, its character is living, its object is an inheritance that's incorruptible, that is holy, that is eternal, it is kept guarded for you who are yourselves kept by something. You see, the inheritance is being kept for the kept. That's exactly what Peter says. The inheritance is being kept for those who are kept here. And there is something that keeps you among the kept here. What is it? Verse 5. Who are kept by the power of of God. And someone would say out here in the religious world that has embraced the kind of thing we talked about in Bible class this morning, there it is. I'm kept by the power of God. That's, uh, that's the power of God miraculously. That's the power of God that, that speaks to me in a still, small, quiet voice. That's the power of God that I'm assured of having by the Holy Spirit which is in me and comforts me and guides me and leads me, etc. No, no, you can't stop reading here in verse 5 and reach that kind of false conclusion. You have to keep reading to know that the kept are kept by the power of God through faith, through faith, for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And so, whatever the Bible defines as being faith, biblically defined faith, I know that that's what I must have and continue to grow in in order to remain among the kept, in order to reach the place that's being kept for me. What does the Bible tell us about this faith? And isn't it abundantly clear that in verse 5 that the 
those who are kept by the power of God through faith, that the faith has reference to those who are here on this earth being kept? Of course it does. It's not God's faith. It's not God's faith. It's not Christ's faith. It's our faith here in this passage that is abundantly clear to us that must be intact and growing and growing in order for us to ultimately realize our hope, our desire, coupled with our expectations. Again, back to 1 Peter 2, 2. Remember our key text. As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the what? Word that you may grow thereby. Now Peter says here, we're kept by the power of God through faith. We're to desire the pure milk of the Word to grow thereby. Therefore, you put the two together and you conclude, just as the Bible as a whole makes abundantly clear, that being kept through faith is being kept through the Word. And if we had any doubt about it, Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Therefore, if my hope is ever to be realized, it will be by the power of God that is exerted through what? Through this book. To produce what? In me. Faith. A faith that is stagnant from day one till day none? No, a faith that begins with my being buried in baptism for the remission of sins and becoming a babe in Christ, and then as a newborn babe in Christ, to desire the pure milk of the word that I may move on to the meat, that I may mature and become stronger and stronger in my faith. And as we have often said, that strength will never come by process of time alone. It will never happen. I'll tell you what will happen by process of time alone, a falling away. Because unless we apply ourselves as newborn babes to the pure miracle of the word to grow thereby, then we're not going to stay in one place. Unless we apply ourselves to growth, then we're going to fall back, are we not? Think about what the Hebrews writer, as we have cited the passage in times past, wrote to these brethren in the Hebrew epistle and said to them, For though by this time, by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God and have become have come to need milk and not solid food. And then he goes on to explain, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. Who are they? That is, those who by reason of what? Use. Have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. By reason of what? Use by reason of practice is the idea. I have got to practice this every day. And as Brother Freeman voiced in his beautiful prayer, we need to pray that God will enable us to be stronger Christians tomorrow than we are today. But God will not do that in some direct, miraculous way as Brother Freeman well knows, and as all of us, I hope, know. But God will bless our efforts to grow in 
faith. But we have to put forth that effort. Give us this day our daily bread. Is that a request for God, as we've often said, to rain down cellophane-wrapped loaves of bread from heaven for us every day? Or are we praying for God to bless our efforts to produce our daily bread? The latter is true. And if we're to grow in faith, if we're to grow in grace, if we're to grow in hope, if we're to grow in peace, these qualities and others we'll discuss, then it is incumbent upon us to apply ourselves to that growth by feeding upon the Word of God. We're nearing the end of another calendar year. And what a glorious opportunity we have as we begin a new calendar year to grow and to determine to grow individually that we may then grow collectively, spiritually at least, if not numerically. But it will take something other than a passage of time, will it not? And the Hebrews writer made that clear when he wrote to those who by that time should have been applying themselves to the growth that would have produced something far, far better than what he had to write to them about in terms of their condition. And oh, how we need, as we grow in faith, to be able to distinguish among the the different ways faith or belief is used in Scripture so that we can confront the error, the tragic error that exists about this quality of faith in the religious world. Counter it, confront it lovingly, but teach people out of the prevalent but pernicious position that faith only is what Peter is writing about here. Nothing could be further from the truth. When Peter says to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away reserved in heaven for you who, who, who are kept by the power of God through what? Faith? What kind of faith? What kind of faith does Peter tell us to grow in? The very same kind of faith that put us into Christ as babes in Christ in the first place. Not faith alone, but a faith that is motivated by love, hopefully, for the God who in his abundant mercy has given us that wonderful hope and the opportunity to have and to embrace that hope and all these other beautiful Christian qualities. Motivated by that kind of love for the one who's made it all possible, we then act upon that love to have produced within us a faith that we understand must also be acted upon in order for us to ultimately be saved from our past sins and finally saved in heaven, paradise and ultimately heaven itself. Faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, Peter here is writing to those who had already exhibited obedient faith in becoming Christians. They had already exhibited the kind of faith that all must exhibit in order to become children of God. Jesus said, unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins, John 8, 24. But he said, I tell you no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Repent means to change your mind and then to change your life. So faith only has never saved anyone. Jesus himself, who said believe or die in your sins, also said repent or perish eternally. But he also enjoined upon us confession of his sweet name, 
saying and promising to us that if we'll confess him before men, he'll confess us before the Father in heaven. He added, if you deny me before men, I will also deny you before the Father in heaven, Matthew 10, 32 and 33. But did not Jesus clearly say, though it has been refuted, not accurately and validly, but efforts have been made to refute it or to ignore it, did he not say so clearly, he who believes and is baptized will be saved? Mark 16, 16, he did. Therefore, the belief or the faith that saves is the faith that will lead me to obey what Jesus and the inspired writers of the New Testament have made clear I must obey. That's what I must do to become a Christian, to be added to the church, the body of Christ, to which the Lord adds those obedient believers. That's the kind of faith that Peter continues to enjoin upon those who have already shown that obedient faith in becoming Christians because the context makes it clear. He's not talking about the faith that saved you from your past sins. It's the same kind of faith, but he's writing to Christians now. He's saying you're going to have to maintain that same kind of faith, the same kind of faith that puts you into Christ and produced in you the peace that surpasses understanding that enables you to grow in the grace of Jesus Christ, the faith that gives you that living hope with the object of that hope being that eternal inheritance, that's the kind of faith you're going to have to continue to manifest in order to have the salvation that's what? Ready to be revealed in the last time. That makes it clear he's talking about future salvation. They've been saved from past sins. Now they must also be kept or guarded by the same kind of faith, obedient faith, in order to ultimately enjoy and embrace the salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Oh, yes, the Christian has a wonderful living hope with God's mercy being its source and an inheritance that is an indescribable inheritance as its object and that is reserved or kept only, only for those who are kept by the power of God through their obedient faith. Can you say this morning that you're among the kept? That you are being guarded by the power of God through your faith and that your faith is truly the only faith that can save and that is the faith that obeys. You cannot say that unless you have exhibited that kind of faith initially in obeying the gospel of Christ, in answering the call of the gospel, in saying to Jesus as we're about to sing, Jesus, I come out of darkness into light. And how do I make that transition from darkness to light? By a faith that will lead me to repent of my sins, turn my back upon them, confess Jesus to be the Christ, and be buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. Then I can rise from that watery grave with that living hope, with that peace that surpasses understanding, in which I'm to grow, and in that grace continue to grow in all of these beautiful qualities, and maintaining that same kind of obedient faith to this completely inspired book, and specifically, of course, the New Testament, the last will and testament of Jesus Christ, in order to have ultimately the object of that wonderful living hope, heaven itself, where my reservation is being guarded as long as I know that I'm among those 
who are guarded here by the power of God through that obedient faith. There's someone here who is no longer being kept as you once were because you know you've turned your back upon God and his way and walked in your own ways. And you know that indeed you cannot with complete honesty say, I truly have that hope, that desire and expectation. You may still have the desire, but if you've turned your back upon the Lord and his word, you cannot have that expectation. But you can again, the desire and the expectation, the true biblical living hope by coming home to him who is willing and eager and ready to guard you and to keep you again as he once did, but only through your obedient faith. If you need to respond in becoming a New Testament Christian, the only kind there is, or in coming home to your first love and being again that New Testament Christian you once were, we plead with you to do that, that you might leave here not with no hope, but with new hope as we stand to sing.